No credentials. Greatest album. Welcome back to the Sound Logic Podcast. We are excited to have you here, and this is the first episode of the brand new Rolling Stone 500 list. We have moved from the 2012 list, and as Rolling Stone has just released in the past few weeks, a brand new updated list for 2020. We're going to start reviewing those albums. Ben, how do you feel? It's exciting. Um, If our listeners caught our last episode, we sort of walked through that new list and some of the excitement that we had. Um, We left that episode sort of still unsure exactly of how we were going to proceed. And I think we've developed a plan that I think I think is going to be a good one. Um, Our hope is to sort of uh, spend just a few minutes reflecting on the albums that we've already done and um, inviting you to re-listen to that episode if you've already done so or uh, listen for the first time if you're new to our podcast. So tonight we're tackling Marvin Gaye's uh, incredible album, What's Going On, which has risen to the number one slot on the list. And so for the next few minutes, we'll give you some of our thoughts on that re-ranking. And um, and in just a few minutes, we'll encourage you to listen to the old recording that we released all the way back in March of 2019. Um, on that episode, we have my friend, uh, Reverend Donna King, on as our special guest, she offers some insight in what it was like to grow up during the time when that album was released. Um, I think somewhat ironically, Mike, that album uh, shows up at number one on this list because of how timely it feels um, mm. so many years later here in 2020. Um, what yeah. were your thoughts on seeing it rise to the very top? Yeah, I, I was surprised to see it there, not because I don't think it should be there. I really didn't know what I would see at number one. Yeah. When I heard there was a new list, I, I, I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't really waste any time getting to it. <laughs> I just went right there. What's the new number one. Um, and I didn't really have enough time to form, formulate an opinion on what I thought would be there. Uh, at first I was surprised and then I was excited because I do really like that. And it's such an important album. And then as it sunk in, and I thought about it more. We talked about it. It makes so much sense for this album to be there. It's so relevant. And one thing that we're going to talk about a, a lot as we move through this list and some of the albums that have moved up is that I really feel and when we had our special guest on on our last episode, Brad Efford, and I think that you agree, is that this really tells a story about the music that's yeah. relevant right now. Yeah. And... uh the artists that are creating music right now, what influenced them. And I think this album was not only so significant for the music through the seventies and eighties, but it continues to inspire the people who are making music now and inspire the people who inspire the people. (laughs) who made (laughs) So if they, if the people making music now look to someone who made music, maybe in the two thousands, because they're just yeah. a new artist and they're, you know, somebody, a, a very young artist who is on the top 500 list right now, who just released an album a few years ago, looked to someone making music 20 years ago. Now Marvin Gaye is someone who really, really spurred that artist on. That's right. And I also think um, lyrically, the messages we talked when we reviewed this, and if you listen to our, our previous review after this, you'll hear that we talk about the issues that Marvin Gaye tackles on this album yeah. are he is way number one, way ahead of his time. Number two, he's so bold to tackle so many different. And I think one of the things you said is that he was discouraged from tackling so many different issues and said, uh, no way we got to talk about this stuff. I need to share my opinion on this and it has to get out there. And I think that uh, the, it's shifted now back to that where we, these, the issues he talks about, none of them have gone away in one way. You said, uh, when we talked about Ben, it's sad that 50 years later, we are still talking about the same issues that mm-hmm. pretty much everything, uh, except, you know, maybe he, he, he references the Vietnam war. And although we're not dealing with that particular conflict, the effects of it, 
are still lingering and also we people can like me people who have served in other conflicts more recently can relate to that so um, i don't want to go on <laughs> too far because i want to give you a chance but, yeah. but i was excited and it feels relevant it feels very relevant yeah it's not a massive leap um, as we go through this new list there are other albums that made a bigger jump but to go from number right. six to number one is significant to be held up as sort of the greatest album of all time um, yeah, it's an album that neither of us, I don't think had heard before that first listen, oh. uh, two years ago. And, um, and it's one that I have continued to listen to, um, every once in a while, it stayed in my top 10 of my re-rankings, mm-hmm. um, all the way through, uh, through our first 60 albums that we tackled. And I'm really excited to see it here at number one. Um, it's fallen from my number one slot. I might've put something else there, but I think it's a a wonderful addition. And when the new list came out, I uh, put this album on again for the first time in a couple of months and thought, wow, you know, there is something that is really great about this album and um, just really well suited for this moment in time as well. So um, you're going to hear us say a lot, I think, as we go through this list, that this new 2020 list is trying to tell a story about this given moment in time. And I think this is a good album to kick things off. One of the things I've been thinking about, you just said it a few moments ago, and I said it just before that, it's going to be a repeating thing. This list really tells a story about the, the music right now. And I think that the 2012 and 2003 list told the story of the music from the past and how that genre, the, specifically the genre of rock and roll, and then branching off of that pop and um just starting to see a little bit of hip hop on the first list and some other things coming out of rock and roll. It was really the story of how did we get here? What, what happened in the past? What was the formation of rock and roll? They had a lot of blues. They had jazz early um, rock and folk. And as much as it, it's still, it was getting to really, it look, I think it, it was more retrospective. Uh, looking backwards, I think this list really looks forward. And although there are still a lot of albums from the 60s, 70s, um, I think it is pointing to this year and is pointing to what music is being made right now and what's relevant. And as you start going through the list, not necessarily right at the end, but going through it, uh, you start seeing it point to that. And Yes, the other list did that, but I think this does it uh, in a different way, and it's very, very interesting. I think it, although the the polling was done, I think in a similar manner, although I believe they polled uh, a more diverse cross section of people. I think it really looks looks to today and beyond. Well said. Well, we Thank really you. hope that you enjoy listening to this uh, ep- oldie but a goodie episode of ours, <laughs> and um, and we will have new content whenever we get to a new album that we have not reviewed. But for now, uh, please enjoy Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On." We're gonna play that episode right after this. Former guest Colin. Hello, Ben. This is uh, Sister Mama Dr. King um, calling about. Choosing Marvin Gaye's What's Going On as number one. Um, and I just want to say thank you to you and Mike for um, cause that song, What's Going On, is so relevant to today. Um, I just want to say a few things that Martin, I'm thinking of, of Martin's thing. Um, we got to find a way to bring some loving here today. So so relevant uh, because we we still are starting to mark one standing and and the picket lines and just the punishment with brutality and come on talk to me so we can see what's what's going on and do you do you do you get uh, because the same thing kept keeps happening again um, because America today looks like Jim Crow. Um, it looks like the Annabelle period um, from from slavery. Um, we're going backwards, and the only way to make that change, you know, um, being an academic um, and a, a former uh, teacher, 
um, teaching student teachers and also teaching in Black Studies at Penn State. I must say critical race theory is based on critical legal studies. So once again, we've got to change the law and change the policy um, like we did in, 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 in the past. Um, and Marvin Gaye's song kind of is showing us once again and asking the question, what's going on? And even the song in the city blues, um, you know, because it, it, it does, it makes me want to holler and throw up both of my hands. And it makes me want to holler, you know, and just do something about it. So mercy, mercy me and the ecological footprint. So it, it makes me want to holler still, dot, 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 because it continues and throw up both my hands and say to everyone, What's going on? So the answer to this is the love that he talked about, hope, love, faith, and continue the social action and the social justice that is needed still today, and we shall overcome. I'm just so glad that you gave me a chance once again. Thank you to you and Mike. Hey, everyone. The episode you're about to listen to is one of the very first ones that we did, and the sound recording is not that great. It took us a little bit to hit our stride, and we enjoyed these first episodes, but they maybe aren't our strongest ones. So we've got some better equipment and honed our skills. The recording quality gets a lot better around episode 10. Stick it out. Keep listening. It gets better from here. I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Welcome back, everyone, to the Sound Logic Podcast. And today, we are discussing album number six from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 album list, which is. What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. This is a unique episode for us. It's actually the very first episode in which we have a special guest on the podcast. I'm really excited to introduce my friend, uh, the Reverend Dr. Donna King, also known to some as Mama King. Reverend Dr. King, and I'm a pastor of a small historic church in Belfont, Pennsylvania. It's a site for the Underground Railroad, St. Paul Amy Church, and Amy stands for African Methodist Episcopal. So the doctrines and the work of the Lord, but also the mission of the church is not new. It's to fight against racism and social justice, and of course all those other missions. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and help the poor, the widows and the orphans. But underlying, it's the same societal issues that are going on that went on pre and post slavery time. She is an incredible colleague, uh, a social justice leader, here in the State College area and community. She is a person who embodies, I think, what it means to have a faith that is practically lived out, to not just be something that's spiritual, not just be something that's theoretical, but makes a difference in how you live your life. Um, and Donna will often talk about holding that lamp of freedom. Yes. When, when I heard that Marvin Gaye's What's Going On was on this list, her name immediately jumped into my mind as someone that I knew um, would be a great voice to have on this album, um, not just because of who she is, but because quite often she'll quote from this album in um, the spaces that she occupies. And so thank you so much for being here with us, Donna. Um, it's, a, it's a blessing. It's a gift to have you here with us. Yes, my calling seems to be to point out to people sometimes, um, take a look at the world and you know what's going on whenever we start a new album we the first thing that we ask ourselves is have you ever listened to this album in its entirety before uh, we did this project what's the answer to that question for you this time around mike i had not listened to this album before i was only familiar with uh, the title track what's going on i had heard that i did once i heard it recognize mercy mercy me uh, that sounded very very familiar and i think i've heard it before uh, but no, I had not listened to this album. I've heard of the album. And uh, as I listened to it, uh, and not to let the cat out of the bag, I really, really enjoyed it. I also felt that it was really hard to, not necessarily relate to, but to be able to speak to 
what was happening here in this time culturally. Um, I'm obviously very far removed. I'm a white guy from Canada born in 1982, so you know, what can I really say to speak to this, what was happening for this community in 1971? I feel a little intimidated to really, really comment on the, the major cultural significance of this album, um, at least from a personal perspective. However, um, I really, really enjoyed it, um, and it was very, very new to me. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think when I saw the name Marvin Gaye on this list initially, I assumed it was going to be a sort of classic Motown record that was predominantly love songs, predominantly kind of uh, layered harmonies, sort of doo-wop in the background. And I was, I was blown away by how political, how real, and how raw this album was. I'm wondering specifically, I guess, Donna, for us, it's often hard for us to get back into the moment in time. Uh, because we weren't born when so many of these great albums were released. Uh, can you give us just some insight into how it felt to be alive at the time when this revolutionary kind of music was, um, was released? Well, I was introduced to Marvin Gaye by my older brothers and sisters because I'm the baby in, in, <laughs> in the family. And when it came out, they played it over and over and over again. So much so where everyone knew it by heart because of the political time. Very political song and the words were relevant to that time period. Um, my brother went to Vietnam. Wow. And uh, when he came back, um, all he played was, was jazz. And he came back with all the stereo equipment and he would play his jazz and then he would go into the jazz it's been like John Coltrane's very you know and then he'd start to mellow we loved it when he mellowed when he played the ballads then he'd always start playing Marvin Gaye what's going on over and over and over again what do you think he connected to so deeply uh, because of the message and that message still rings true today I and mean, even when I taught racism and sexism at Penn State University for five years, and I would write on the board, what's going on? Because there was something always going on in, in, in the news, um, and it could be like around the time of Ferguson or around the time of um, even Penn State scandals, Penn State protests, whatever. Just what was going on in society, racism-wise, um, and gendered politics. And as soon as I wrote it on the board, they were like, oh, they call me Mama Kent. Mama Kent, please, please don't, 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 don't play, don't play the song. I said, not only am I going to play the song, I'm going to pass out the lyrics. And we call this temple framing that the past is ever present. So could we look and see what he means? <laughs> you know, oil wasted upon our seas, fish full of mercury. Oh, mercy, mercy me. You know, what's going on? And they were just like, oh, my gosh. And then they tell me you're stuck in a time warp because all you do is play Motown songs <laughs> for, for us. And even to the point where the theme song of Law and Order, you know, war. Because, you know, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. You know, um, and I would say, uh, now you may take out your phones and do research. I call it inquiry. <laughs> Look up the song War. I'm not diverting away from as you say, old school Motown. And I said, that's right, Edwin Starr, Motown. Um, but listen to the words, you, you know, um, it's relevant today. Sometimes I would tell him, you know, um, you need to wake up and pay attention. Reverend King, you're such a great teacher. I'm wondering, Mike, can you give us some details about this album? Yeah, after we introduce the album, we always like to talk about some details. Before I get into just some statistics here, uh, on the 500 list, this is a lot of there's a lot of firsts here. It's the first album um, that's not recorded in the 60s. Uh, it's the first album recorded by uh, you know an African American or anybody who wasn't white. Um, it's the first protest album, and this really is a, a very strong protest album. Uh, so we're kind of moving. The first five albums were very much, um, you know, from 65 to 67, and similar in kind of the context 
from where they were coming in general, and this comes from a very, very different place. So there's almost a big shift, and maybe we'll start to see a bit of a shift in the list in general as we go through it. But this is kind of takes us to, you know, to a different place early on in this list. The one similarity that it does have is that this was known as a concept album when it was released, and I think that's been a fairly common theme here. Um, now six albums in, I think the majority have been, at least at the time of release, were considered to be concept albums. Right. This one in particular, and we'll get to this later on, plays like one entire track. It's, yes. It's really beautifully mixed and edited together so that each song flows seamlessly into the next. And uh, that's really beautiful. Thematically, this is more like a concept album than any of the albums we've listened right. to so far. Uh, and, you know common themes both musically lyrically culturally so this album was released uh, may 21st 1971 it was marvin gaye's 11th studio album he had been at the game since the early 60s um he wrote all the tracks primarily there he did there are some other credits on several of the tracks but he is the primary writer on all of them uh it went to the top of the u.s r&b albums chart for uh, in the U.S., uh, it's for sales. It's certified through different countries at about eight hundred thousand. I feel like that number is low, but those numbers are always a little skewed because that has to do with distribution, not selling as much as some of the albums we've talked about. But I don't think that necessarily has uh, takes away anything from its significance. I think historically, to note, it's important to understand that this is still kind of right in the middle of the height of the, the Vietnam War. Right, and your story, Donna, hearing that your brother comes home from the war and puts this album on is just so... makes it all so real. When he talks about war, referring most directly to that, I'm, I'm sure other conflicts as well, but... And I'm imagining impacts the way that you teach when you're in the classroom. That's because while you have your headphones in your ear and you're on your phones, what are you going to do if they call you up for the draft, you know, for your pain, saying, bring the boys home, bring them back alive, you know, and they're like, there you go again, old school. I said, no, what's the difference that our songs of today are not as political as the songs of yesterday? What is it about this time right now where we don't see the same amount of people sort of speaking out as artists? Well, I think people are starting to do it and take to the streets and have a voice, but when you have a mandate like the Selective Service that I told them you all had to check that box when you applied for financial aid. Um, and the difference was the draft. You know, when you're forced to go and fight for a country and um, you don't even know why you're fighting. Uh, so many times in Vietnam, I've, I've seen uh, soldiers on their uniforms, the back of their uniforms, you know, we're fighting for a war and we don't even know why we're here. This is not our war. A lot of frustration and really an important moment in time to have strong black figures speaking up. And I think uh, that's what makes this cover seem so appealing. Yes. Uh, an interesting album cover. We always like to talk about the album cover. This is a photograph of Marvin Gaye. He's, he's looking, has, has a very kind of solemn look on his face. He's looking off yes. uh, to his left. He's got a... You can really only see his head and shoulders. The background's not in focus. He's got a big collared, almost like a rain jacket on. It appears to be raining. Um, it's almost like a big kind of oilskin jacket on. And uh, there's not a whole lot happening, but it's it's a really interesting photo. And it really, I, I can kind of just stare at it and look at him just kind of gazing off somewhere. It's like he's really looking or thinking about something. Yeah, I think especially at a moment in time um, you know, just after civil rights, the rise of the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. there was this desire to see um, strength in black leaders. And I think this, I look at this cover and I think this is a confident, strong human being. Uh, probably yeah. at a time when young black people needed to see strong, confident um, black leaders. Yes, and sometimes you need the, those tests. I think it fits real well with the tone of the album. He's 
um, he's powerful. You know, it, yeah. If uh, if we didn't have all this other context, uh, and you said, "Hey, this is like a, a cast member from um, Black Panther," be like, "Oh yeah, yeah." It looks like you know, <laughs> someone right. a superhero yeah. <laughs> kind of ready to move in. Yeah. Oh, for um, sure. And uh, I can't imagine, but think that that's that's part of that that desire. And it it really is a contrast to a lot of the albums and images of him from earlier on, which was very much uh, from the '60s. You know that uh, very smooth face, uh, uh, straightened and combed hair to the side, very much of the the doo-wop sound. Uh, like a, almost looks like a Nat King Cole kind of picture with a with a suit, three piece suit on with a tie. This is very different. This is this is very yeah. much more into the funk and soul um, image, and not in a, a negative way at all, or a kind of a renegade way, but in a very a very respectful and as you say, a very strong way. And a, a really, it's very striking. I think similar to Pet Sounds, um, this album comes after a period of withdrawal. He was okay. pretty burnt out, pretty burnt out, and um, fe- feeling some writer's block, yeah. uh, tired of the sort of traditional Motown stuff, and wanted to sort of pour more of himself into it. Uh, and a number of people told him that was a mistake. That you know he had a good thing going. Why? Why would you get political? Why would you bother trying to be? Um, speaking truth to power. Why would you want to speak out against things like the war? Um, it was dangerous, and and so to have a cover like this, I think, is is really sticking your chin out in the face of all of that criticism and saying, "I'm gonna I'm gonna speak truth." Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. And people to resist. Normally at this time of the show, we give you a track listing um, with some audio of each track behind it. But I think in honor of the artistry of creating an album that flows seamlessly from one track into the other, what we're going to do is encourage you to go and check out the tracks on your own time. Um, listing them in order just by their name, one through nine, really is doing a disservice to the way that this album is assembled. It's really assembled to be listened to in its entirety, seamlessly from one track to the other. There were singles. Four of the songs were released as a single, What's Going On, Mercy, Mercy Me, Inner City Blues, and Save the Children. They can all be listened to as individual tracks, but I think it works best as a concept album um, listened to from beginning to end. Yeah, that was one thing that really struck me when I listened to it, is that the songs all really flowed into one another very intentionally, as if it was just to be listened to as one continuous piece of music yeah Um, not to say that none of them kind of end but but they just flow and again thematically they're all very similar and have uh, connections thematically and I had to listen to it a few times to really to really really understand what was happening there I mean I I could get it Mm -hmm. that you know one track wouldn't quite finish the next would start or they would be almost the same piece of music really really understand what the story was of this album and i'm still i'm still yeah. digesting it in a, in a positive way i'm still digesting it because there's so much to chew on and uh i really really enjoyed that and it was challenging to listen to well a lot of times messages are right in front of us you know even in the bible read the handwriting on the wall and then once you hear the message or know what the message is do you really want to hear it and you resist it you know you don't want to know the truth you know, the, the king asked Daniel to read the handwriting on the wall, and then when he, t- he told him, you, you're going down and your kingdom's going down with you, he didn't want to hear that. You know, so we don't want the reality of what America right. can stand for and what America does for the sake of right. um, supposedly democracy and, 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 and freedom. I think the, the surprise for me on the first listen to through was, you know, initially recognizing what's going on and pieces of other of other tracks but the album finished and i was listening on spotify so it rolls into other similar artists i was like oh that's not marvin Gaye. it was someone else singing on this album because i didn't think there had been enough tracks to make up a full album because of the way it's seamlessly tied together i was like that can't be it Um, but it was and the more i've listened to it it feels complete even though um 
you don't have the normal marker of like pause between tracks. Uh, it's it's interesting. So we've already talked about how this album was new to us. We don't have a whole lot of memories. Uh, but Reverend King, uh, Ben tells me that you're quoting this album a lot, you know, just in your regular conversations or when you meet with people when you're preaching. Can you comment on a, lot of, a little bit on that? Like what, what exactly does that mean? For, for me, it gives me hope that now that I'm an elder, um, in 1972, 1973, I was very young. Um, and the fact that I can still quote Marvin Gaye, even when I'm meeting in the community in school board, um, meetings about issues in our schools for students of color. And, you know, I get frustrated because it's like, stop trying to deny that you don't see and that you don't know what's going on. So I've actually asked, um, could you please ask your secretary or your administrative assistant, do you have a, a CD player? And they just look at me, you know, like there she goes again. Um, but I'm serious, you know, I'm not trying to distract or <laughs> redirect. Um, awesome. Because I said, I would love to play Marvin Gaye, what's going on? When I saw Marvin Gaye's name come up on this list, I mentioned before that my assumption that it was traditional Motown. I think the music that I have listened to from Marvin Gaye in the past has been more in the lines of let's get it on. Mm. And so so hearing something that's so profoundly yes. uh, pointing out injustice, uh, prophetic in its, in its words, not really romantic at all, was a surprise to me. I think my perceived, my preconceived notion was that this was going to be recognized for its musicality and for its um, romantic nature and not because of the power of the words in it. Mercy, mercy me, um, because it, it talks about pollution. It, it, it talks about um, just the, the state of the, the, the nation. But what, what I like about Mercy, Mercy Me is, and that's why I asked for the CD player for what's going on, because Marvin Gaye said to save the babies. And what about the children? You know, what kind of world are we going to leave for them? And when I'm in meetings saying, these are the stories of the children of color and what they're going through, and we keep telling you over and over again. And I thought Marvin Gaye said, you know, we're trying to tell you what's going on. He said, save the babies and what about the children? Because it's not about your ego. It's not about your privilege. It's about the children. And I said, do you want me to, to, to play it? I said, next time I'll just bring my own boom box and play it for you every time I feel we need to go back to the matter at hand, which is we're here about the children and you need to know what's going on. I didn't expect it to be as kind of have such a religious tone, an evangelical tone, uh, and certainly a, a protest tone to it. I didn't, I didn't know that about the album, so that definitely caught me by surprise. I didn't expect it, and my experience uh, with this song, uh, really, and it's kind of a silly memory, but um, back in 2002 when you and I were traveling, uh, when we were in hotels and we had a string of days off, we watched a lot of MTV. And uh, Marvin Gaye's daughter, Nona Gaye, did a, an all-star tribute song with a bunch of popular celebrity people and uh, with like NSYNC and Britney Spears and Bono and uh, Destiny's Child and all these people did a celebrity version of this song and they made a video and there was this making of program that they played over and over and over and we saw it all the time. And that was kind of my first introduction to this. and. You know, that song was very overproduced and they talked about kind of poverty and there's a lot of imagery in that video about kind of some social issues of the time, you know, we're talking 15 years ago, um, but it, you know, that was really all I knew about it. So I kind of expected, again, to be just a little more mainline, mainstream pop or doo-wop of the time and that's, that's not at all what it is. Beyond the signals, what stands out to you as you're listening to this album? I use jazz a lot to to teach students about how with syncopation, um, going against the grain and even in music, playing the off notes 
or offbeat. Like, don't tell us that we have to clap on the rhythm of the one and three, which is westernized and culturally it's the two and four. And then to specifically create music that goes against the grain, that's very political. Yeah, there's a couple things that jumped out to me, a couple of very interesting uh, techniques. There, uh, there's a lot of, the album has a lot of like reverb and echo, which uh, I felt gave it not only a very 70s feel, but also just a kind of a, just an interesting presence, you know, of the whole thing. And I know that was yeah. common technique, uh, but that kind of gave it a, a very specific feel. And also on Save the Children, a very interesting technique where he he speaks the lyric. Mm-hmm. The call and response. Yeah, there. yeah that's, he speaks that the lyric. That surprised me too. And then he sings it. So just, just a few words at a time as he goes through the lines. And, and that was really, really interesting. I don't even know if I've heard that uh, before. Not not anything that I would take very seriously. Um, but it was like... feels like a worship practice in that song. Yes. It's just... So many times it comes through another genre, like an artistic genre, through song, through poetry, and they always seem to be the resistant pedagogy to teach us or to say the things that we normally wouldn't say in a conversation. But when it came up in a song and you listen to it over and over again, it's almost like it was a way to be indoctrinated into um, someone else's view of society, mm-hmm. but through song. Yes, absolutely. And I I immediately, like, I, I think I just stopped what I was doing. I think I was doing dishes and I just kind of stopped and just listened because I heard him say it and then sing it and yeah. it was almost like yeah when you hear even almost I know this is very different but even in a, in a Catholic or Anglican liturgical ceremony where they sing they sing the the liturgy it almost felt a bit like that but this is him speaking it and then his own voice answering it in in melody and that was really 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 cool um, the really interesting technique yeah. there. And then one of the things that, that really popped to me was this sound on Mercy, Mercy Me. There's this very echoey, percussive sound. I don't know what it is. It's some sort of a drum or something. And it kind of just pops right out in the background. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me, um, and this isn't the only time this album, reminded me of Justin Timberlake's 2020 experience, uh, which he released in the... Uh, somewhere around you know, 2010 sort of thing and as I heard this I'm hearing all those themes there the the strings backing the orchestration backing behind the kind of the regular rock and soul instruments and I could see where he really took inspiration from this album to create that but this same kind of percussive sound uh, he had a, uh, a hit single with uh, Jay-Z called Suit and Tie you can hear that same sound now I checked to mm. see if he sampled it I found a really cool website called Who Sampled, and you can look up a song, <laughs> and it shows the samples that are in the song, which is cool. But he didn't, it's not listening that he sampled it, but it sounds like whatever whatever sound that is, or instrument, or thing that they've modified, he's using the same thing. It's a bit of a higher pitch on the Timberlake recording, but that same kind of thing, it just kind of pops. I'm sure you know what I'm referring to. Um, but that yeah. was something that really just makes that song I think really special. It's kind of like the icing on the cake for the song and uh, kind of makes it pop out. So yeah, those are some things that really kind of jumped out at me uh, sonically. I'm glad you mentioned the strings. I think that the strings are what tie this whole album together. And Mm. I think they're consistent on every song. Uh, Sometimes they're not very much in the focus, right? but there's, there's orchestral accompaniment all the way through this album. Yeah. Uh, and often it's their key change that leads into the next yes um, track, so to speak. Absolutely, uh, which is really a really fascinating production value. Yeah. Um, the other the other thing that I think gets lost in naming this a protest album is how many themes are tackled. Mm. Um, you know, you've got so the racial justice vibe of what's going on, mm-hmm. what's happening, brother, is. Uh, based on his own experience of his brother returning home from Vietnam and, and wanting to tackle 
the militarization of, of the country and of people of color specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flying High is about his, um, his drug uh, abuse challenges and problems mm-hmm. and getting out of touch with reality because of substances. Um, you get into you know, the next generation and education with Save the Children, protecting the young people. You talk about religion and God is love. Mercy Me is about um, the planet Earth, which seems very forward-thinking for uh, early 70s to be already pushing people to consider uh, creation care. Wow. Um, You know, the whole album, like each song almost, or each each movement, maybe would be a better way of saying it, tackles a a different aspect of the protest. It's not singular. It's not just about racial justice or just about um, ending the war, uh, he 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 touches a whole bunch of things, um, and the more I think about it, the more I realize why his peers, his producers were saying, "Don't do this. <laughs> this is career suicide. Um, you're tackling too many hot button things here in one album." Um, it took a lot of courage, I'm imagining, for oh, yeah. for someone to to take all this on in, in one movement, especially for someone who's basically known as you know, a uh, romantic singer um, to suddenly dump, jump into all of this. The other thing that kind of jumped out yeah. right off the top is the opening track and begins with kind of kind of crowd, crowd sounds, chatting, and all these very, you know, iconic cultural phrases at the time. You know, everybody's just kind of, you know, hey, right on, man, we all just... Uh, great party you know they're just they're just chatting <laughs> yeah. and you just kind of get the feel that you know you're with you're in a social gathering um and with a bunch of people who are just there yep you know and then this conversation starts and mm-hmm. you know you could almost imagine everyone gets together and one person stands up and says there's some things that are on my mind that we need to address it reminds me of your prophetic voice in our community, uh, Reverend King. And we're going to keep telling you until you hear us, you know. Um, and sometimes that's well received. <laughs> sometimes it's not. They can press a button and eject me out the room. But guess what? I'm still standing and I'm going to keep having a seat at the table and be able to use my brother, uh, Marvin Gaye, to bring it home. They, he lays it on you and... That's the album. It's uh, it's it's really cool. I really really enjoyed that. It yeah. was kind of I, when I started the album. I thought something wrong with my my headphones here. Like what's what's all this noise? <laughs> but oh, okay, all right, this is it. And then it goes right into what's going on. It's really cool. Yeah, I think I was saying to Meredith the other day, um, there are so, there are albums on this list that I knew I was gonna like. Uh, there are albums on this list that I had no idea if I was going to like, and already we've had one that has not lived up to the hype for me. Um, it was just such a wonderful experience, having no idea what I was getting into, and just being right. totally blown away by how good I thought this was. Um, I love it. <laughs> I love it when your expectations are just totally surpassed. So I have a question to ask, and I think I know the answer. Um, the answer is, I'm sure, yes. But tell me how, in in what way do you see this album being relevant? I think we can say it's very relevant, at, at least lyrically, to yeah. our current climate. But but could you speak to that? How do you, in what ways do you feel that it's relevant? Yeah, I don't know if it's the arrangement or the. The fact that, like you mentioned, there are still artists trying to capture the sound, but it does not feel as dated as some of the other albums that we have mm. listened to from a musical mm-hmm. standpoint. Yeah, good point. And um, lyrically, it is just so profoundly still relevant. Uh, I'm actually curious to ask you, Donna, how does it make you feel as someone who grew up around this time where these issues were so urgent? It's all about freedom but freedom to the point where you have to get political. You have to stand up to, sometimes societal laws are flawed, like slavery. So it makes you go against the grain. 
Musically, it's relevant. Lyrically, I mean, all the things that he's speaking out against, they're all still happening. Uh, it might be different conflicts or in different ways, but all these things are still issues and still need to be addressed in the U.S. and around the world. So, I guess in one way, it's good that he was hitting on those things, and in other ways, it's really sad that, you know, pushing 50 years later, those issues are still just as relevant and just as much of a concern as they were back then. So, Reverend King, I have a question for you. Uh, you we know that this is a really inspiring album for you, and, and thank you for speaking about that. Are, are there other kind of uh, types of music or artists or albums or anything else that you find really inspirational? Believe it or not, um, because my brother played so much jazz when he came back from Vietnam, um, there are a couple of jazz pieces that um, um, one in particular, Youssef Latif, he's a, a flutist, and he plays a very, very old uh, ballad called, I don't know if I pronounced it right, the first Genepipi uh, by Satie from the 15th century. And um, when I taught racism and sexism, I taught through the concept of um, dissonance, cognitive dissonance with musical dissonance. And, you know, dissonance, uh, the musical term is the disharmony within harmony. And I would play the first genepipede for the students. Beautiful flute. Um, you have to look it up and then, and then play, play it. Um, I played for the students and they said, that's not dissonance. Because it was very mellow. And I said, yes, it is. And actually, dissonance chords and dissonance musical pieces were outlawed because of the dark tone or using the dark keys, right? So, I mean, I was right on point going further back, even past the civil rights songs, you know, before Marvin Gaye, I um, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. But then going even further back to the songs of the Underground Railroad, I always sing Oh, Oh, Freedom. But the words of the, of the songs that don't give up and keep keep running and, and just keep hiding, but the fact that someone is going to help you along the way, you have to trust. Mm -hmm. You have to trust. And we did that back then. Why can't we do that now? But you know what? We are. We are. Because I feel like this is the second wave of abolition. This, you know, the Underground Road is the first civil rights movement. This is our, our almost going into our third wave of civil rights. So not to trivialize it, but... Was this album Sound Logic at number six? You know what? I don't care how many times it keeps coming up. I don't care how many times we have to stand up to do what's right. It all leads back to Marvin Gaye, what's going on? You got to keep playing it so we, we can deal with those issues that seem to keep popping back up. I think this is... Uh... Fitting in with the rhythm that I'm developing where I finish an album and think, oh man, this should be number one. <laughs> uh, maybe with an exception, a recent exception to that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I really, really like this. And I, I think because I didn't know what to expect and it, it surpassed my expectations so far, I'm I'm just really happy it was included. I, I think it definitely deserves this position at number six. I could make the argument for it to be a couple positions higher, I'm sure. And, um, and I think maybe even more than the albums that have come before it, I think this sound is still influencing uh, pop music specifically. Oh, yeah. Maybe in, in ways that the other albums uh, are not necessarily. Um, For me, that's a, the best argument to put this album at least one higher, if not more. Um, yeah. And it is so influential in so many ways and I think that's the reason although we see that this album in terms of sales the success of sales is really really falls short of where the other albums the five albums that came before it in sales and we see you know the number one album doing you know 19 million albums 
in sales with this one, you know, maybe around a million. But there's a reason that it's here, and that isn't just because of its commercial success, but how much influence it's had. And I think definitely this is sound logic to have it at number six. Maybe even I could argue for four or five. So we want to thank everybody again for listening, and a very special thanks to our guest, uh, Reverend Donna King. We thank you so much for joining us and sharing your experience with this album. It was great to have you with us. Yeah, we really appreciate it, Donna. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's an honor to call you a colleague, to be inspired by your work. Can you tell people just a little bit about um, what you do here in our community? Well, St. Paul AME Church is an old church up on the mountain built in 1859 and um, there's a very small congregation and it's a site for the Underground Railroad so we need help to keep the doors open and we do Freedom Talks which is dialogues about freedom once a month we do Freedom Walks which are Underground Railroad tours uh, pending the weather but the, the church stands for what it's like to be a beacon on top of a hill for communities, uh, the community in Belfont, but surrounding communities like State College. Thanks again for being with us. It means a whole lot. What do we got next time, Mike? Next time we're going to discuss album number seven on the top 500 album list from Rolling Stone magazine, and that is Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones. We're looking forward to discussing this album, and we hope you'll join us. So we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Donna. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. Tune in next time for the next album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list.